Nehemiah chapter 8. And we know how now Ezra comes on the scene. Nehemiah invites Ezra with one goal now. It's not the goal of building the walls because the walls are up now. And you would ask yourself, you know what, those walls finally came up after eight chapters. But the goal is not that the walls would go up. The goal is to make sure that what takes in place inside of those walls is important as well. That not only do we protect that, but we protect what's going inside, what's happening inside the walls. That we know what's coming in and out of Jerusalem. Now I want you to compare Jerusalem to your, your life I want you to compare Jerusalem to your heart. I want you to compare Jerusalem to your home, maybe to your marriage, and understand that you ought to protect what goes in and what comes out of that place. That you ought to protect what comes in and what goes out of the place. And in order for him to change the culture of what was taking place in Jerusalem, the best way to change that worldly culture, that worldly agenda, the idolatry that was taking place in that place, right? The, the bondage that was taking place in order to free them from that bondage, Nehemiah called Ezra to come and establish the word of God in Jerusalem. And what was the goal of Ezra? The goal of Ezra wasn't to get a following. The goal of Ezra wasn't to wow people with an oratory speech and a, and a great now command presence that he would have. The goal now of Ezra was to give people an understanding of the word of God. And that's exactly that, why they told him, the leaders told him, bring the book. Open the book and read the book. When we come to church, we ought to bring the book. You know, sometimes we come to church and we don't bring our Bibles. We need to bring our Bibles to church. There's something personal also, I'll tell you, about having a physical Bible and not having it on your phone. Because you know how personal it is when you open a book and you write in it and you jot down the notes of what God is speaking to you day by day, verse by verse, page by page? The book becomes alive in your life. And that's why today we're going to study from verse 8 now to verse 18 and beyond on what happens when you make the goal or you make the Word of God the goal. I want today that the Word of God would be the goal in your life. Are you reading the Word of God every single day? It's now July, mid-July almost. And because it's mid-July, we start to think and wonder how far in our reading are we of the Word of God, of the whole counsel of God. How far into the Word of God are you this year? Because the goal in Nehemiah chapter 8 now was the Word of God. And it says Nehemiah 8 verse 8, So they read distinctively, or distinctly, from the book in the law of God. They read distinctly. They read carefully the Word of God. They, they read and they studied the Word of God distinctly from the book of the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. What did they do? They gave the sense. Who was giving the sense? Now Ezra and the leaders and the priests were giving the sense of the Word of God. Now that word giving the sense was now give understanding or give the application now of the Word of God. Every time you go into your devotional time and you have your notebook out, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, I want to encourage you to say, Lord, give me the application. You know what application gives you? Insight. Insight into what God's Word ought to do in your life. Insight. Lord, give me the application. Give me the sense of what it is that I'm reading. And what do they do? They carefully, distinctively open up and expound the Word of God now because that was the goal. 
It wasn't the opinion of man. It wasn't anything else, the favorite topics. It was the Word of God. And it says, so they read distinctively, and then verse 9, so, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levite, who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, nor weep. Don't cry. Don't weep now. Why were they crying and weeping? I'll tell you the reason why they were crying and the reason why they were weeping is because the Word of God pierces the hearts of man, exposes the sin and the intentions of our hearts and our mind, and it says, do not weep, don't mourn. Today is a day of celebration because we have reinstated the Word of God in our lives. I pray that today not only should we desire revival, but that we should also desire that we reinstate the Word of God in our life. That you reinstate it in your life, the Word of God. Where you desire the Word of God. And it says here, Today is holy, don't mourn, don't weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why did they weep? Because it pierced them, it convicted them now. They felt the conviction, right? But he said, don't, don't be weighted down with the conviction. Because conviction, as we ended last week, is not meant for condemnation. The conviction that you get when you read the Bible, when you hear the Word of God be expounded on a message, it's not meant to condemn you. It's meant now to convict for restoration. It's to convict now for renewal now of the soul and of the mind. So he's saying, do not weep because you're hearing the Word of God, but understand today is a day of celebration. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom have nothing, care about others, enjoy, celebrate now. The Word of God is a time of celebration. Because repentance is a time also of celebration. You are reinstating the Word of God back into your life. And it's saying, go now and celebrate uh, and give to those whose nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our God. What day is holy to our God? The, day, the, the way we make the days holy is because we get into the Word of God and you make it the center. For this day is holy, do not sorrow, and this is right here, the punchline in verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, isn't that amazing, that promise? Don't weep today, don't mourn, do not doubt, do not be weighted down in the conviction, do not be weighted down in the condemnation that the enemy wants to give in your mind, that you're not good enough, that to serve God, that you're not good enough to be able to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you hear the word of God, that you've messed up way too many times, that you're living in bondage. Here it says, don't do that. Do not mourn. Celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, what an amazing promise we have today that we can celebrate on the joy of the Lord that is your strength and it's my strength. You see, you know what's amazing here? The joy of the Lord is your strength. What joy? Where, where do you get joy here from? You know what the joy that, Nehemiah, that Ezra was talking about? And Nehemiah was talking about the joy of forgiveness. The joy of knowing that you're forgiven. The joy of also knowing that you are restored. The joy of knowing that you are in the will of God. Know that the joy of you being forgiven, the joy that you understand that you are in the will of God, that joy, understanding those concepts, understanding those precepts, that joy becomes your strength. You know when you have joy? When you take your eyes off of self and you put your eyes on Jesus, then you can have joy. The fastest way to kill your joy is to keep your eyes on self. 
The reason why a lot of times we don't have joy in the Lord is because we have all our eyes on self, all our eyes on others, all our eyes on circumstances instead of our eyes on God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you have your eyes on Jesus, when you have your eyes on forgiveness, when you have your eyes on the will of God, that is your strength. And that, that word strength, you know what it means? It means that, that that is your place of refuge. That is your place of safety. That is your place of protection. The joy of the Lord is your protection. The joy of the Lord is your refuge. You can have joy because He is your place of safety. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, it's amazing that we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Throughout the entire New Testament and the Bible, we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And, and do you remember in John chapter 15 when Jesus is talking to His disciples and He's giving them His words, right? You know when you can have joy also when you're in the Word of God? You can have joy because of His Word. You can have joy because of His promises. Now you would ask yourself, well, I'm not in a situation to have joy. You can have joy because of His Word, and you can still have joy because of His promises. Jesus was talking to His disciples, saying, saying this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. I want my joy to remain in you. And He says, and that your joy may be full. Not that your joy may be empty, that your joy may be full. You want to be full of joy, then be full of the Word of God. And you'll be full of joy. You can have joy when you're in the Word of God. Also, the secret of joy is in doing the will of God. You can also have joy because you're in the will of God. You can have joy because of obedience. You can say, Lord, maybe I'm going through a tough time right now. But I'm being obedient to the will of God. I'm being obedient to your will. I'm not, it's not based off of circumstances. My joy is based off obedience. Know that your joy is based off obedience. Your joy is not based off of circumstances. And here we see that very clearly. What happens in Hebrews 12 too? What does the word of God tell us? Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy here... <laughs> that is set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does Jesus have joy in? Jesus had joy because He was obedient to the will of God. You can have joy because you're obeying God. See, a lot of times the enemy steals our joy. Why? Because he, keep, he allows us, he distracts us, and then we put our eyes now on self, on sin, on the world, on the enemy, on circumstances now, and our joy now has forsaken. But you can also have joys and trials, and I'll tell you that today. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why can you have joy in trials? James 1-2 tells us this, My, bre my brethren, count it all joy. <laughs> When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You know what's amazing about this? He says, don't, he doesn't say, count it some joy. He says, count it all joy. Are you going through something that you have to count it all joy? I count this all joy. Because I know that even in trials, God is producing something in me. Character. He's producing in me patience. You know when you study the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of you walking in the Spirit, joy is actually some of the fruit that comes out of you walking in the Spirit. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then what else is a byproduct of love? The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it's joy, and then it's peace. <laughs> now it's interesting that joy falls right in the center of love 
and of peace. <laughs> Have you noticed that before? That the fruit of the Spirit is love, then it's joy, then it's peace. What does that mean? That joy is found in the center of God's love and God's peace. There and right the center of God's love, then you have joy and then you have peace. Lord, I want to have joy. I want to know your love. I want to know what it means to have that peace. Because in the center of knowing your love and having that peace, there in that center is found the joy, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And now in verse 11 it says, So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still. You know what else you can have in joy? You can also be still in joy. <laughs> be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Don't be grieved. You can be still, because today is holy. And all the people went to eat and to drink, it says here now, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Why? Because they understood the words. And that's what we need. We need an understanding of the words of God. They couldn't be still because they understood the word of God. The moments in your life where you can be still is because you're understanding the word of God. The moments where you can be still and wait on God is because you're in God's word. And now it tells us in verse 13, Now the second day, the heads of the fathers... The houses of all the people with the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra. Now I want you to underline right here where it says the heads of the fathers and the heads of the houses. These were the leaders of homes. These were the, the, those that were in charge. And it says also the priests and the Levites, the servants, were gathered to Ezra. Even those that serve in the house of God. Now, after a six-hour now meeting of hearing the Word of God, in the beginning of chapter 8, now, here in cha chapter 8, verse 13 now, now the heads reunite again. And all the leaders and all the servants, they come to Ezra on a separate occasion to do one thing. They were gathered Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. What happens here? The leaders come back on a separate occasion. Because they have a hunger and a thirst to go deeper in the Word of God. Did you know that as you serve the Lord, as you lead a house, as you're a mother or a father, whatever it is that God has called you, that you have a greater responsibility to go deeper in the Word of God? That we ought to be those that are going deeper in the Word of God. If you want to be a leader, you need to understand, you need to go deeper when it comes to the Word of God. You need to go into greater detail. You need to expound in the Word of God. These people here had a desire to learn. So they came back again, the heads of families, with a desire to learn here. And they start to come with a teachable spirit. You know when the times that you learn the most? When you come to the Lord and you open the Word of God with a teachable spirit. Now with the hard heart, you're opening up the Word of God and you're saying, Lord, today I want to have a teachable spirit. Lord, please teach me. And these heads of houses came like sponges to soak up every drop of the living water at the water gate here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And they wanted to soak it up. They were thirsty for the Word of God. You know when you become thirsty for things of this world? When you're not filled with the Word of God. Because when you're filled with the Word of God, you don't even have an appetite and a craving for the things of this world because you're filled already and satisfied with the Word of God. 
It is the times that you are most craving for the things of this world and for the appetites of the flesh that you start to learn and to remember, I'm not filled with the Word of God, so now I am being now pulled in different directions and I am being recruited now into the appetites of the flesh now because I'm not filled with the Word of God. So you become thirsty for the things of the world. These people here, these leaders came with a teachable spirit not to only get input, but also to get insight. I want, you to, I want to tell you what the difference is today. That you not only get input, but you also get insight. What's input? Input is content that you can derive from in your studying, right? It's content. It's, under, it's knowing. It's remembering. It's memorizing. That's the input. That's the content. But they came for insight, you know what insight gives you? Revelation. Lord, we want revelation today from your word. Lord, I woke up today and I opened up my word because I want revelation. Lord, I have my notebook here. I'm going into prayer because not only did I come for input, I came for insight. I came for revelation that comes from your word. It means to, to be prudent, to get wisdom from the word of God. It's the qualities of discernment, of understanding, of awareness now of the word of God. That is the insight. But an unteachable attitude will never get you insight. You know why a lot of people don't understand the Word of God? Because they have an unteachable attitude where they don't even want to learn. These people here wanted to learn and it says here, And they found what was written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children should dwell in boots. What did they do? They learned. They found out. They discovered insight. We know now that in the law it says that we should dwell in boots or the Feast of Tabernacles that we should practice it now in the Feast of the seventh month. And see, here it says in verse 15, And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain, bring olive branches here, branches of oils, of trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Now they found out God wants us to do something. God wants us to mobilize. God wants us to move into action. God wants us now to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. A lot of times the reason why we don't know, we don't do what God wants us to do is because we don't know what God wants us to do. <laughs> they discovered this is what God wants us to do. We went deeper. They studied, they expounded, they discovered now. They had revelation. God wants us to celebrate now the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what was the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that God told them to celebrate now in the Old Testament that would describe where they would dwell in tents for seven days. They would build tents, right? And they would dwell in these little booths or these tents to remind themselves of how their fathers and generations past were dwelling in tents in the wilderness and that God never left their side. They would remember the faithfulness of God. They would remember that God preserved them in the wilderness. They would remember that God protected them. That they would remember that God was their shelter as they would dwell in that tent. Isn't that amazing that when God moves us from place to place in the wilderness, that we can remember that God was our shelter, that God was our protection, that God was our providence, right? But they discover now, this is what God wants us to do, and guess what they do? And they mobilize, move into action now. Go collect, go and move now. And the people went out. I want you to remember this verse. Went out. <laughs> See, when you read the Word of God, it should, desire, it should put a desire in your heart to go out and to serve Him. 
When you have been and spent time in the Word of God, you want to go out. You want to step out. You want to step out. You don't want to stay in. You want to step out. I want to serve the Lord. I want to go and remember that the Lord has been with me in the wilderness. I want to respond to the Word of God. This is their response now in verse 16. They mobilize in action. And it says this now. They brought them here and made themselves booth, each one on the roof of his house, in their country yards, or the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly, verse 17 now, of those who had returned from the captivity made booths. Those that were free made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day of the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. You want very great gladness in your house? Then reinstate the word of God and mobilize it. It says since the days of Joshua, since that generation, they had not celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. They had not observed God's shelter. They had not observed God's protection. They had not observed God's provision now. And now they're doing it. And because they are doing it, there is great gladness. But what did they have to do first? They had to obey the Word of God. And how do you obey the Word of God? Obedience comes with the teaching of the Word of God. Now you can obey the Word of God because you have that revelation. But also, what does obedience do? Look what it does right here. In verse 17, it tells us that obedience brings very great gladness. Is that missing in your house today? Is that missing in your heart today? Very great gladness? Oh, Lord, I want very great gladness to fill the booth and the tent and the space of my heart, of my family, of my life. Very great gladness. You want very great gladness in the space of that booth, of that shelter, of that tent, then you need to fill that place with the Word of God and with obedience. Because there is nothing more that brings gladness than you being in the will of God. You know what robs your joy, your gladness? We talked about joy and we talked about gladness. What robs your joy and what robs your gladness is disobedience. If you're living in disobedience, you're not going to have joy and gladness. It is when you're walking in obedience that you have joy. It is walking when you're have, walking in obedience that you have gladness. But it is only those that really are coming with a teachable spirit, with a humble spirit, that are going to get that joy, are going to get that gladness. Because in verse 18, look what happens now. It says, And also day by day, from the first until the last day, for seven days, day by day, it wasn't just Wednesday. It wasn't just Sunday. It wasn't just a, another day. It says day by day. Is that, that, this is amazing because it gives us a pattern on how we ought to read the Word of God. It says, He read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Day by day, fill your life with the Word of God. Day by day. Right? You know how that happens when the Lord gives you insight. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, speak to me. I want insight. I want revelation. I'll tell you this. It's very easy to read the Bible and have God not speak to you. Because you didn't come prepared to listen. Because you open up the Word of God as if it was something just to do on your list that day. When we open up the Bible, you don't come for input. When you open up the Bible, you come for insight. 
Lord, give me the sense. Lord, give me the revelation. Lord, give me the insight. And when you get the insight, guess what you can what happens when you get the insight? You become what these people of the nation of Israel became. You know what you say? Lord, take over. Take over my life. My life is not private. Nothing in my life is private. We, 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 are, we have grown up in a culture and in a country where we want our rights, where we want our privacy. <laughs> when you're in the Word of God, you tell Him, Lord, nothing in my life, no hour, no day, nothing in my heart, nothing in my mind is reserved, nothing is private. Here are the keys. There is total unreserved obedience when it comes to the result of gaining insight day by day in the Word of God. Can you tell that to God today? Lord, here are the keys. Nothing in my life is private. But see, insight not only gives you the good perspective to the Word of God and the good attitude, not only does it change your attitude, insight in the Word of God, but it also, on the past of what God has done and what God has instructed you through His Word, but it also gives you the ability to face the future. Without no insight in the Word of God, you lose hope for the future, you lose confidence, and you lose vision. That's why you need insight of the Word of God that He would give you revelation. You know what the definition of revelation is? It's another word for vision. <laughs> Lord, give me vision. Give me revelation. I need, I, that's why I came to your Word. Because I want it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. There is nothing private in my life. Lord, fill every space of my life. And remind me that you are my shelter. That you, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That He, in His will, I find joy. In obedience, I find joy. In forgiveness, I find joy. That's where joy is found. And now you see that in verse 9, we're just going to read a couple of verses in verse 9, that their reliance and their priorities change. I pray that today your reliance would change, your priorities would change, that you wouldn't rely on money, that you don't rely on a job, that you don't rely on a person in your life, whether that person exists in your life or doesn't exist in your life, that you wouldn't rely even on a perfect marriage, that you wouldn't rely on a perfect family, that you rely on the Word of God. Because no family is a perfect family. But let me tell you something, your family can serve a perfect God. And you only know that if you're in the Word of God. You only know that if you're in the Word of God. You only know that if you have insight, if you have revelation. And it's interesting here because their priorities change. You know how their priorities change? Because they started to rely and depend on the Lord. They had a poured out spirit, the poured out soul. I want us to get so much in the Word of God where your soul starts to just naturally be poured out. Lord, the byproduct of me spending time in your Word, of having this book open, just open, so that I can get revelation, so that I can get vision, is a poured out soul. That's the response. Because when you have an understanding of this book, guess what happens? It changes your life. It changes your perspective. It changes your priorities. And you know what they do? In verse chapter 9, we're going to go through it this week and next week, just an introduction this week, is that in chapter 9, they go straight into prayer. And it is the longest prayer recorded in God's Word. Isn't that amazing? That in Nehemiah, we find the longest prayer that is recorded in the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 9. But you know what prayer does here? This prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9 helps them examine their priorities. 
You know what you have to do when you go into prayer, into the prayer closet? Take your priorities in there and say, Lord, if you need to change some of these, then change it before I step out of this prayer closet because prayer should allow you to examine your priorities. This is the prophet of the Word of God. This is what happens when you have the Word of God in your life, when you have an understanding of the Word of God. And you know what they do when they go into prayer? They do four things. This is a four-dimensional style of praying that we see in Nehemiah chapter 9. They go upward in prayer. They go backward. They look backwards when it comes to prayer. They look inward when it comes to prayer. And they look forward when it comes to prayer. You want to change your prayer life? You want to get excited about prayer? I'll tell you, study chapter 9. Where you can look upward in prayer, number one. You can look backward in promise, number two. You can look now inward in repentance, number three. And you can look forward in pursuit, number four. See, what do they start their prayer with in chapter 9? They started with praise. Upward praise, backward promises, inward now petition or repentance, and forward pursuit. This is the definition of a prayer life that they understood, God. And I love what happens here because you see the reward of repentance. In chapter 9, after they understood the word of God, after there was great gladness, understand, after there was great gladness, there was also repentance. Isn't it the times in your life where you feel that there was great gladness or great joy in your life, that it's followed by humiliation because you understood and you have a clear view and awareness of God? They had a clear view and awareness of God and they come in true dependence. They come with a true desire to come in prayer. You see, a true repentance will give you a desire to go to God in prayer. You can't say that you're repentant but you don't have a desire to pray. That's not repentance. True repentance will give you and give in you and put in you a desire to pray. The person that never prays is a person that never repents. You can't say, I've been repenting daily at the cross, but you have never prayed. The person that is examining themselves in true repentance is the one that has the desire to be in prayer. I look what Charles Swindle says when it comes to prayer. He says, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of prayer will do more to equip you than the leadership manual or seminar or conference or any new revelation or impressive strategy will ever do for you. It's the discipline of prayer. That's what will do more to equip you in the, than any type of leadership manual that you can find out there. It's the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. You want to say, you want to say that I'm repenting before God, then that you, have, you must have the discipline of prayer. And I'll tell you this, you see now in chapter 9, brokenness again. It's not only in chapter 1 brokenness, it's also in chapter 9 brokenness again because he's talking to us now in Nehemiah. We start to see that brokenness, it's an ongoing process. Brokenness, an ongoing process. Lord, keep me broken. I want to remain broken before you because God only plants the seed of revival in the heart that has been broken up in repentance. You want God to plant that seed of revival in your heart? He only does it in the heart that's been broken up in repentance. God's not going to plant the seed of revival in a heart that is stiff in its heart, in its unrepentant. God will plant the seed of revival in the heart that's been broken up in repentance. And that's what we need, continual repentance. Look what happens in Nehemiah 9 verse 1. 
Now, on the 24th day this month, the children of Israel were assembled. Look what they were assembled with. I love this. You want to see revival and you want to see really the Lord respond now? They assembled, they gathered together to do two things. And it said, how did they assemble? How did they gather with purpose? With fasting. Now, we want to see God do a miracle in our hearts, in our lives. You must fast. It, you must fast because fasting is a, is a sign where you separate yourself and you're saying, I'm more hungry and I am pursuing more God than I am anything else. I need to fast. And it said, they came to God in fasting. I pray today that because that verse came up, that you would fast this week. I pray that because this verse came up in our reading today, that you would separate a meal and fast it so you can pray and spend time with the Lord. Because they assembled here with purpose. With fasting and with sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Why were they doing that? Because they were humbled. They put dust on their head. They put ashes. That was a sign at that day that they were ready to confess, that they were mourning. That was a sign of humility. That was a sign of repentance. And you know who God doesn't despise? The heart of the humbled and repentant heart. God does not turn away that heart. God doesn't turn away. But look what happens here in verse 2. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners. You want to see God fast? You want to see God separate yourself? <laughs> this is amazing here. Lord, we want to see you move. Then fast, verse 1. Then verse 2, separate yourself. What would happen if we all separated ourselves to fast and to spend time in this book alone in prayer? You must separate yourself. You know who they separated themselves from foreigners? Who? From people that did not worship the same God. And I think so many times we spend more time with people that don't worship God than with those that do. <laughs> and maybe because of work and all of that, right? But we must pursue to separate ourselves and wholly dedicate ourselves and assemble together right as a church to pray and to fast and it goes deeper if you want the lord to do something in your life you must come in humility to pray and fast on your own separate yourself but look what they did as they were convicted here and they put dust on their heads they separated themselves from all the foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers i love that that's true repentance it's prayer it's fasting it's separation and it's confession. Do you see that in just three verses? you see how much that's needed? you see how fasting and prayer and separating yourself and confession is so needed if you want the Lord to do something in your life? You know what they're confessing? The sins of their fathers because they idolize their family. They idolize the traditions of their fathers. You, you should not idolize any, any tradition or anything that gets you away from the Lord. And they start to renounce any evil action, any evil attitude. It says here in this verse, verse 2, and it says in verse 3 now, And they stood up here in their place and read from the book of the law, their God, for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. What, what a recipe. Man, th this is amazing. To separate yourself in pursuit of something. Of revival. Lord, I opened up my Bible today because we want revival. 
Because we want insight. Because we want revelation. You know what we need today? We, want, we need the church individually and corporately to separate themselves from anything of this world so that we can pray, so that we can fast. Not only that, but it's also so that we can confess. And you know what happens after that in verse 3? That they open up the Word of God. And when they open up the Word of God, it says for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. For three hours? You know what they do for three hours when they, they start? They start off with a three-hour reading of the Word of God. And then they follow that three-hour of the reading of the Word of God. After that, and it says for another fourth of the day, it says here, they confessed and worshipped the Lord. That's amazing. And for three hours, they read the Bible together while they were fasting. For three hours, they fasted. And then for another three hours, they started to confess and worship. That's, a, that's when you're looking for revival. That's a total of six hours of pursuing God and fasting through the Word of God for three hours and another three hours for confession and for worship. Think about that. That's the heart. It's six hours total. You know what this teaches us right there, right out of the gate in just only three verses, that if you want revival, guess what it takes from your, it takes time. You can't rush the word, spending time in the Word of God. And you cannot rush prayer. If we rush prayer and we rush spending time in the Word of God, how will we ever see the Lord revive us and restore us? They came to confess. To confess their sins. Someone once asked, you know what, 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 what sin? It's the sin that God will not forgive. The only sin that God will not forgive is the sin that you won't confess. The only sin that God won't forgive is the sin that you won't confess. Because He's so ready to forgive. For three hours, the Word of God, and for another three hours, the worship and the confession. What was happening in the midst of all of that? They were praying. They were praying and they were fasting. And I think it's important that we know that as a church that we ought to fast 